Our scripture reading this evening will be taken from the third chapter of John, verse 16. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. I appreciate Thomas stepping in at the last moment. We trust that everything's well with Raymond and we're grateful for his ability to lead on a regular basis, but we are very thankful for Thomas and his ability. And I'm glad that it's him leading singing and not me. And if you heard me sing, you would be glad too. We're going to be looking tonight at John chapter 3, verse 16, and we're going to be talking about the golden text of the Bible. I suspect that probably one of the best known passages of Scripture in the New Testament would be John 3.16. Many of us from our youth have been able to quote this particular verse. There's a lot of depth in this one verse. I heard of a preacher many years ago who spent some, I think, six months preaching from this one text. And so you can see the richness of John 3.16. But tonight we think about the golden text of the Bible. And there are four things that I would call your attention to as we look to this verse. Number one, John 3.16 is golden because of its source. In John 3.16, Jesus is recorded as saying, For God so loved the world. When we talk about the source and what makes this verse so golden, we need to understand that we are primarily talking about God. The Bible refers to God as the Savior of all men in 1 Timothy 4 at verse 10. When you and I begin to examine the pages of the Bible, we come face to face with this divine being known as God. Isn't it interesting that in Genesis 1, verse 1, we are introduced to Almighty God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are two things I think about in relationship to this divine source. Number one, God is our creator. God is the one who has formed us. He is the one who has made us. There are a lot of people in our world today that question the origin of man. How did we get here? What are we doing here? Did we evolve? Are we the products of evolution? And yet the Bible says in Genesis 1 at verse 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. God made them both male and female according to verse 27. In Genesis 2 at verse 7, the Bible tells us that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And so we are introduced to Almighty God. What do you and I know about God? Well, creation is evidence that there is a God. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. The world in which you and I live is evidence that there is a creator, that there is a divine architect. But then also there is revelation. 
Revelation is simply the Word of God, and that's what tells us about the character of God and the will of God and the ways of God. I said that this verse is golden because of its source. God is the Savior of all men, and He is our Creator, but also, and very importantly, He is our Redeemer. When God made man, in Genesis 2, verse 16, He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so He made a help meet. That is, He made a suitable partner, a companion for His creation, that being Eve. And so in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. While in that deepened sleep, he extracted a rib and thus made the woman and brought the woman unto the man. And Moses tells us that Adam responded by saying, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. So God made the first couple. In Genesis chapter 3, a divine prohibition had been set forth. That prohibition was they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. God made man and endowed him with the ability to make choices in life. That's one of the ways that we are like our Creator. We have the ability to choose what we want to do in this life. We are, we are creatures of volition. God knew that mankind, given that opportunity, that privilege, would ultimately succumb to temptation and fall into sin. And so in the book of Revelation, we read of that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God decreed in the long ago to save men and women through his son, Jesus Christ. And so in Genesis 3.15, we have the unveiling of the promised seed. That promised seed would ultimately bless the world by giving himself as an offering for our sin. And so God is interested in us. We are the products of his creation, but we are also blessed by his redemption. When Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he talked about how every spiritual blessing known to man is available in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 1 verse 3. In verse 4 he said, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose to save men and women in his son before the world was ever framed. And so we give thanks for the redemptive work of Almighty God. There's a second thing I think we see in our lesson text. John 3.16 is golden not just because of its source, but also it is golden because of its scope. Listen again to what Jesus said, For God so loved the world. We're talking now about sinful humanity. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is what ultimately put a barrier between creation and Almighty God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 underscore this fact. Paul said there is none righteous, no not one. In verse 23 of that same chapter he said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet we talk about the scope of God's love. Have you ever paused to think that when you talk about the love of God, you're talking about that which is inclusive in nature and not exclusive? There are certain organizations and clubs, fraternities, 
in our world today. And they are exclusive to certain types of people. It might be that an individual has to be of a certain social stature. It might be the case that an individual has to have a certain type of academic background to get into a particular fraternity or organization. But when we talk about the love of God, God's love is not merely confined to Broadway. It's not just found in the Beltway. It's not just confined to Wall Street or Main Street. But when you talk about the love of God, you're talking about the kind of love that permeates every sector of society. There is no one that escapes the love of God. As a matter of fact, God is a being of love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John said, God is love. We talked just a moment ago about revelation. Revelation informs us about the character of God. And one of the characteristics of God is that he is a being of love. And he has, he has showered the human family with his love. We think about unconditional love. It's true that God loathes sin, but he loves the sinner. Think for a moment about, about your children or about your family members. The love that you have for your child, is that based on certain conditions or is it unconditional? Well, you and I, we, we think about our children and how special they are to us and what they mean to us and how they are literally bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh, and we know that that love is unconditional. Well, God's love for us is such that it will always be present. Now, he may not necessarily like what we're doing. If we want to enjoy his benefits and his blessings, there are conditions that are attached to that, but we're talking about the love of God. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world. In 1 John chapter 4, John said, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In 1 John 4, 19, he said, we love him because he first loved us. Aren't you thankful for the love of God? I think about how as members of the human family sometimes we say and do things that are completely unlovable. And there are times in life when our behavior is such in which we're not very lovable people. And yet the Bible over and over again affirms unto us that God is a being of love and this God who is a being of love loves us. I would challenge you to read 1 John chapter 4 and just note the number of times that God's love is underscored in that one chapter. God is a being of love and that's one of the things that makes this verse so golden in the Bible is because of its scope. There is a third thing that I think we see in our lesson text. We say that God's love is such that it reaches every member of the human family. But I want you to think in the third place that John 3.16 is golden because of its sacrifice. Not just because of its source, not just because of its scope, but also because of its sacrifice. Listen again to what Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that phrase, only begotten son. When Jesus talks about the only begotten son, he's, he's simply referring to that which is the only one of its kind. God gave his only begotten son, the only one of his kind. Now let's just step back for a minute and think. What about the depth of this sacrifice? When you begin to look at the sacrifice that God made on behalf of the human family, look again at what is recorded in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. G-A-V-E, gave. God gave the human family something of great importance to him. While reflecting on this verse, I was thinking about when God gave his son, he gave the very best. He held nothing back. As a matter of fact, he gave his very best. Now that, that really says something to us when we talk about our service to him. Are we giving our very best? God has given us his very best. In Romans 8, verse 32, the Bible says, But God, who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Ask just a moment ago about the love that you have for your children or maybe your family members. And we talk about that love being unconditional. But just think about God for a minute. God recognized the pitiable condition of the human family, that mankind was lost that mankind was separated, that there was a barrier between his creation and himself. And so the only way to reconcile creation to himself was to send his son. And so God sent perfection for imperfection. He sent that which was sinless for that which is sinful. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said that Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. What did, God, what did God's Son ever do to deserve the ill treatment of the cross? Had he sinned? No. The Hebrew writer says he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. Jesus had not committed sin, and yet he literally stepped in and took our place. Sometimes we, we discuss the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus. The idea of this word vicarious is a substitute. Jesus literally became our substitute on the cross, and God as difficult as it may be for us to fathom, gave his son as our substitute. Peter said he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He didn't bear his sins, he bore our sins in his body. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? Every first day of the week, number one, we are bringing to mind the body that was given in our stead. Jesus said, this is the body that is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. We think about that body given. 
on Calvary. And then the blood of the New Testament that was shed in our stead. John 19.34 speaks of the blood of Christ when the soldier riveted the, the side of Jesus with a spear. So Jesus shed his blood. But again, going back to this idea of our children. Take, if you would, the most vile human being known to man. And bring that individual to the fore of the human family. And then think for a moment about giving your child for the life of that individual. Would you be willing to do that? Would you give your precious child for the life of a vile, ungodly reprobate? I know what the answer would be. Because you see, my answer would be the same as yours. No. I wouldn't give my child. I couldn't do it. I remember years ago, Braden was just a baby, had just been born, and I would walk around and talk to people in the auditorium before services began at the Old Hickory Church. And there was a gentleman that sat down toward the front, and he would always ask me, how much would you take for that baby? And I would always respond by saying, he's not for sale. Well, we're not going to give up something that is precious to us. But God gave up his most precious, his most prized possession for us. Do I fully comprehend that? Do I understand it? No. Maybe to some extent we can, we can let that settle into the recesses of our mind and maybe... You know, maybe we can somehow come to terms with that. But I mean, to really understand what God did on our behalf, I don't think we grasp it. I said just a moment ago that God gave his best for us. When we truly understand that God gave his best for us, then we will be willing to step up to the plate and give our best to God. Many times in our world today, we talk about demonstrating our love for somebody or demonstrating how much we care for somebody. And typically, as we say, the proof is in the pudding. A lot of times people will say, well, just, just prove it. Show me. Well, God has proved it. He has shown us. Here's what Paul said in Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The idea is that God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son Jesus to this earth. A fourth thing that we see in our lesson text. John 3.16 is golden, not just because of its source, not only because of its scope, not only because of its sacrifice, but because of salvation. Look again at what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever or whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now we're talking about the salvation of man. When Jesus Christ was about to make his entrance into the world, do you remember what the angel of God said to Joseph in that dream? He said unto Joseph, 
speaking of Mary, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. For it is he that will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to earth to save the human family. If you want to somehow sum up this book in one word, it's salvation. That's what it's about. This book is a disclosure of God's redemptive plan for lost humanity. And so that's why while Jesus was upon this earth, he said the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. What about the salvation that's offered to the human family? Well, first of all, there is the great invitation. Jesus invites people to come to him. I would challenge you to go through the New Testament. Go through the four narratives of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you just know the impact that Jesus had in the lives of people. In Matthew chapter 9, we read about Jesus going into the home of Matthew, who was a tax collector. And by the way, tax collectors were not looked upon favorably in Jesus' day. They were looked upon as a scourge. And yet Jesus made a difference in the life of Matthew. In Luke 19, we read about Jesus in the home of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, too, was a tax collector. And Jesus said unto him, Today salvation has come to your house, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Or what about in John chapter 4 when Jesus spoke to that Samaritan woman, identifying himself as the Messiah, the Anointed One, the coming Savior, and this woman was so impressed that she went back home and told people about this one that had told her everything she had ever done. She came face to face with the Son of God. I think about Saul of Tarsus. When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Later Saul would have his name changed to Paul, and he would become an apostle. And Paul would write to the church or churches of Galatia, and he would say, I have been crucified with Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul accepted the great invitation. And the beauty of the gospel today is that it continues to invite people. Hear the voice of Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I will give you rest. There's not only the invitation of the Bible, but there is the destination spoken of in the Bible. Look again at what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible is about informing people about eternal life. God wants you to be saved. I said a moment ago that when you talk about the love of God, it is inclusive and not exclusive. When you talk about salvation, God is interested in the entirety of the human family. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2 at verse 4, God is not willing, or rather, he said God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, he said, God is not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. God is keenly interested in you individually. In a world of six billion people, sometimes we think we get lost in the crowd. And sometimes we wonder, how could anybody care about me? And I'm a nobody, and nobody knows I even exist. I can assure you of one thing. God knows you exist, and God cares about you, and God loves you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. That is a statement that we need to take to heart. God is interested in us individually. Jesus said the very hairs of our head are numbered. We may live among a sea of people, but God is still mindful of me. As the psalmist said, there's not a word on my tongue, but lo, you know it all together, O Lord. God knows everything. What about our destination? God sent Jesus into the world so that you and I could make the decision to follow him, to become his children. That is, to live in compliance with his will, to enjoy everlasting life. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today that are lost. I do not say that in, a, in an unkind or arrogant way. It's just a fact. And the only thing that's going to save people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's word is the power that saves people from sin. And that's why it's imperative that we get this message out beginning right here in this community and then we expand upon that not just throughout the state but also throughout the United States and then throughout the world. God is interested in saving people. Well, what do we have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to enjoy everlasting life? Back up in John chapter 3, Jesus talked to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a ruler among the Jewish people. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he, he asked the question, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus, no doubt thinking that Nicodemus has missed the point, said, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that is, you come to believe that he is indeed deity. And then you renounce the ways of this world through repentance. Confess his name before others and are baptized or immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you are ushered into a whole new realm of life. Paul said that those who are God's people, they live in hope of life eternal. I want to ask you tonight, do you have life eternal? Do you enjoy everlasting life? You see, if we're a child of God and we're living faithfully, we have the hope of heaven. The promise is the crown of life in Revelation 2 at verse 10. To those who spurn his will, to those who will not obey his word, they will one day hear the words, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. My encouragement to all people 
obey the gospel of Christ. The golden text of the Bible is a beautiful verse. And tonight we close by asking this question, are you living for the Lord? God has done his part. The question is, have you done your part? Have you submitted to his will, to his plan? If you've done what God has said to do, then you'll enjoy the benefits and the blessings of being one of his children. On Pentecost Day, when Peter preached to a multitude of people, here's what he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Some 3,000 souls obeyed the gospel that very day. and God added them to the church. And he'll add you to the church tonight if you're not a Christian. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to his cause, our plea to you would be to come home. As God's people, we have the privilege to pray for one another. and We'd be happy to do that with you and for you tonight. If you have any need whatsoever, would you come as we stand and sing?